0: I invite you to open your Bibles, your copy of the Word of God to Colossians chapter four. We are in the last chapter of this incredibly practical book, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Chapter four. We're going to start in verse two in just a moment. I was thinking in preparation for this sermon, as we're going to talk about speech and how speech can influence. And I flash back to last spring when I was in England taking a bicycle road trip with my son and another one of his buddies and another dad and another guy. We're the first day, we we encountered this incredibly long, steep hill. It just seemed to go on forever, and I rode in my uh, with my feet clipped into the pedals as long as I could. And if you've ever ridden a bike where you're clipped in and you're going up a steep hill, there comes a point where you have to make a decision: Am I going to unclip and put my feet down, or am I just going to fall over? Well, I, I got to that point, and I clipped my feet out of my pedals, and I started walking very steep hill and. And I did not know this. We found out at the time that the Tour of York was going to be run. uh, uh, They were going to ride that just the next couple of days. So there were all these professionals out there on that same hill riding. And as I'm huffing and puffing, pushing my bike up the last 100 meters of this hill, this guy comes cruising by me. And he looks at me and he says, it's a lot farther to the top when you walk. (laughs) And let me tell you, that brought no encouragement to me. So as I think about speech being influential, that guy's speech didn't help me a bit to get to the top. Well, let's look at what Paul has to say about words. Verse 2 in chapter 4. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message or the gospel to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison. So that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. I love verse 6. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. And then as Paul starts his practical closing greetings, I want to connect these two individuals with this section on speech. Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother, faithful servant, a fellow slave in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything. We're going to look at four ways speech influence today, four of the ways that that our speech can, can have impact it's powerful. The first one Paul mentions is prayer. So, in praying, our speech can have impact. He says in verse 2 there, Devote yourselves in prayer. And I'm going to break this down. It's not in your notes, but four things that our, our prayers must be that Paul mentions in this, these verses. First of all, our praying must be faithful. He says, Devote yourselves. He said in another place in 1 Thessalonians, to pray constantly, to pray without ceasing. That just means that we're to be in constant fellowship with God, talking to the Father every day, every moment. In Acts chapter 2, describing the early church, the Bible says this, Luke wrote this about them. They devoted themselves every day to meeting together in the temple courts, to breaking bread from house to house, and to praying. There was a, a devotion that the early church had, and Paul writes about it here. He mentions it here and other places in his epistles Someone said prayer should be like breathing. You shouldn't have to remind yourself that you need to do that. Some of us at different places in our Christian walk come to that place where we pray when things go bad. Do you all do that? Do you pray when things are not going well? Most of us do. We wait for a crisis to pray. And in my own personal life, I know when things are going well, I'm less likely to really be passionate in my prayer. Well, Paul says... The Word of God says we're to have this constant devotion, to be faithful, to be devoted to prayer. Not just when there's a crisis. It's interesting as we pray, God wants us to pray consistently. He wants us to pray things through. And in my prayer life, often God doesn't answer the way I expect him to. Have you found that to be the case? God, here's here's what I would like to see you do in my life, and I'll just wait for you to do it. And I'll remind you every day that that's what I want to see you do in my life. You're laughing because you know that's how we pray, right? Sometimes God says to me, and I don't hear an audible voice, but I sense him saying, I'm not going to give you what you're asking for. That's when you say, okay, Lord, what am I to pray about? And God will delay his answer. Maybe even he wants to give us that. He'll delay his answer in order to draw us into a deeper fellowship with himself. Have you found that to be the case? When you're pleading with God and you don't understand it, usually what he'll do is he'll redirect your prayers. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what that means? I'm going to give you my paraphrase of that. When I am in close fellowship with God, when I delight in him, his desires become my desires. And my prayers become what he wants. His kingdom come, not my, not my kingdom, my will, but, but his. So I have to be devoted to, to, to stay with the stuff. And often God uses that to get my will in line with his. And then Paul mentions this, this phrase here in verse 2. He says, devote yourselves in prayer, stay alert in it. Stay alert. Be watchful. Our prayers have to be alert, have to be watchful. That word is the same word used when the, the description of Nehemiah was building the wall of Jerusalem. It says that he, he had the people to stay alert. The same phrase is used in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, Will you stay alert and pray with me so that you don't fall asleep and fall into temptation? That same phrase. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that with every prayer and every request, I am to stay alert with perseverance in intercession for the saints. Prayer demands spiritual energy. I have to be devoted to it. I have to be passionate about it. I have to be alert in my prayer. There's a passage in the psalm that says, my prayer is set before God as incense on the altar. I think that's a a good description. And someone said about that, if there's no fire on the altar, that incense won't rise to God. Can I paraphrase that again? If there's no passion in my heart, if I'm not, if I'm not diligent, if I'm not watchful, if I'm not alert, it's going to just be simply not the prayer God intended it to be. Have you ever prayed and felt like your prayers didn't get past the ceiling? I don't know. I've described that at times, and other people said, Yeah, I feel that same way. There, it may lack the passion. Sometimes I can pray myself to sleep. Have you ever done that? Okay, Lord, I'm going to pray about this one, and I'm praying silently, and before I know it, I'm asleep. I, I will sometimes get up and walk around to pray to keep myself from going to sleep. I'll sometimes just pray out loud. If you drive by me in, in your car sometimes and see me, you'll think, who's he talking to now? <laughs> Maybe he's singing. I'll, I'll pray out loud. Let me encourage you to be alert in prayer. It may mean that you have to stand up, walk around, talk out loud. Paul says to be devoted, be alert. And then he says, be alert in it with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. He said in Philippians, don't worry about anything but with prayer and petition, or prayer with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That praying with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Listen, if your prayer life is all about asking and not much about thanking, it's selfish. It's bringing a grocery list to God. Say, God, here's my agenda, here's what I want, here's what I need, I, 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 I. That's why there's an encouragement to enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. You all know your Bible, right? So the psalmist said, don't enter his gates with your desires and your requests. Don't enter his gates with your grocery list. I catch myself all the time starting with that. And I have to back up and say, okay, God, I need to begin with thanksgiving. Let your prayers be with thanksgiving. And then he mentions the importance of our prayer being purposeful. And we'll talk more about this later. But when he, he says in verse 3 there, pray also that God may open a door for us for his message. My my prayers have to be intentional, have to be purposeful, have to be specific. When I pray in generalities, God may answer my prayer, but I won't know it. Let me give you an example. God bless the missionaries. That's a good prayer. I want God to bless the missionaries. Well, how am I going to know if he blessed them? But if I pray, if I get one of our missionaries' newsletters, like something that came from the Kennedys or from Celeste Rowan, and says, Would you pray for us about this? And I begin to pray about the transition, for instance, the Kennedys in their Christian school that they're serving in as they're relocating, that God would be in that and that Michelle would be able to organize her office and whatever. Or if I pray about Celise and a special distribution that she has, she told us this week that she was going to, to prepare a wheelchair for somebody that she'd been preparing wheelchairs for for how many years, babe? For three years, Solis has been designing, creating, repairing this wheelchair for this one. So I can pray for her in that, that day as she met with that guy, as she shared the gospel with him. Now, if God answers those prayers, and I hear about it, I know about it, right? So my, my prayer should be purposeful. It doesn't mean that I'm so specific that I, I limit God, but that if, I'm, if I see God leading me to pray a certain way, like for the missionaries for a ministry, go ahead and do that. Praying, the best use of words. By the way, I think prayer and worship is the highest use of words. Then Paul goes on to mention another use of words, proclaiming the word. If you're taking notes, that's number two, right? Proclaiming the word. Look at verse three. At the same time, pray for us also. Paul's praying for for him and uh, those uh, that were with him in his captivity. Pray for us also that God may open a door for us. To us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah or the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. I'm thinking about praying for the missionaries and Kevin Kennedy has asked this prayer for himself. Not God protect us, not God keep us safe, but God give us boldness to share the gospel. That's what Paul's praying He's not praying, God, get me out of this prison. By the way, remember we said this letter is a letter that Paul wrote from prison to encourage the churches, (laughs) a prisoner writing to encourage people who are free. This is Paul's Paul's encouragement to them. And he doesn't say, get me out of prison. He says, pray that I might be bold here in prison. It's interesting in Philippians, Paul speaks in chapter 1, He says the gospel there as he's in prison in Rome, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and everyone else. They know that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Paul, being chained in prison in Rome, had an opportunity to share the gospel with the imperial guard. Those people who had influence with the Roman emperor. Another place he mentions the household of Caesar had been impacted. He wasn't praying, God, get me out of here. He was praying, God, give me boldness. God, open doors for me to share the gospel. A lot of us pray, God, close that door so I don't have to say anything. (laughs) I've done that. I've gone to a house and knocked on the door or rang the doorbell, going to share the gospel. Okay, Lord, I'm not ready for this. Maybe, Maybe there'll be no one home. Okay, I was faithful. I went and knocked on a door. God, keep closing those doors so I can be done early today. It's not the way Paul tells us to pray. Pray that God would open doors. And he mentions the mystery of the Messiah. When mystery is used in the New Testament, it's not used to say something that's covered up in him, but something that's been revealed. So he's saying, pray about the revealing of who Christ is. And the mystery that he speaks of here and he talks about in Ephesians is that in in Christ, Jew and Gentile are one. And Paul's in prison because of that. If you'll go track the story in Acts chapter 21 and 22, Paul is, is, is sharing his story, his testimony. And when he mentions that he's been called to take the gospel to the Gentiles, that's when they stop him. They shut him down. And it literally says in Scripture, they listen to him up to this word in Acts chapter 22. They listen to him up until he said the gospels for the Gentiles. And then the riot breaks out and then they have him arrested. And he's in prison. Because of the gospel, and he mentions that here, that I am in prison because of this. We should use our words to proclaim the message. This isn't just for preachers. We've talked about that. Remember, we looked at that in Romans chapter 10. How can they hear unless someone has sinned, and how can they go unless a preacher goes? And We said that's not just a preacher, it's a proclaimer. It's anybody who tells the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done. We got to witness four sermons this morning. This will be your fifth one. The four were up here in the baptistry. That was preaching. That was proclaiming the gospel. Here's what those three, four individuals were saying. I have trusted Christ as my Savior. And when I trusted him, I, I was put to death. I was buried. The old me was put to death. And Christ gave me a new life and I was raised in a new walk in him. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. You got to see, and even they even proclaimed it with their mouth, didn't they? Did you hear them? Yes, I have. <laughs> they proclaimed a message. That's what it means, and it's that simple just to tell what Jesus has done for you. I was thinking about Paul not praying to get released from prison, but praying for boldness. I thought about John Bunyan, the, 16, the Puritan preacher in the 1600s who wrote Pilgrim, Pilgrim's Progress. And he was arrested for preaching the gospel. And they told him that it was illegal, but they would release him if he would promise not to preach the gospel anymore. And this is what he said. He said, if I'm out of prison today, I'll be preaching the gospel again tomorrow with the help of God. That should be our attitude. Not God protect me, but God open doors. Not God hide me isolate me but God give me opportunity to, to preach the gospel to others in Romans 10 Paul mentions how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel who bring the good news it's taken from Isaiah where the runner came with the message that the Babylonian captivity had been had, it was over and they were going to get to come back to the homeland and there's this runner and they say how beautiful are the feet because those feet are carrying this message of good news that's the proclamation of the word I I pray all the time. God, don't ever let me take for granted the opportunity to stand up here and preach the word. Don't ever let me take for granted the opportunity to open my mouth and tell somebody else who Jesus is and what He's done for me. Proclaiming the word. As I was studying this, I thought about how these first two go together. How important prayer is to the proclaiming of the word. If you go to share the gospel with someone and you don't pray first, you haven't prepared. If I stand up here to preach and I haven't prayed first, I haven't prepared. We have people praying every Sunday morning in another room, in the choir room over there, This choir room slash room, fellowship room slash um, prayer room, praying for me. They pray through different things about the worship service, but they pray for me as I preach. We started doing that years ago, and I saw a new vibrancy in the, in the results of the preaching the gospel. Charles Spurgeon was showing someone. Charles Spurgeon, uh, a pastor in England in the 1800s, pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle. That, that room seated 5,500 people. And 500 standing rooms. So 6,000 people could stand in there and hear him preach. And he was showing someone around the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And he said, you want to see the powerhouse of this ministry? And And the guy said, sure. So he took him downstairs below the auditorium. And there was another auditorium underneath where he preached. And he said, every time I preach, there are hundreds in this room praying for me. That's where the power is. Those two go together. By the way, you may not be in the prayer room. But whenever somebody stands in this pulpit, you should be praying for them. You should be praying for the message. You should be praying for, for receptive hearts. We prayer walk this, um, this room every Sunday morning. Several men gather and we pray over these steps and we say this should this be an altar of surrender. We walk around this room and my prayer is that there would be open hearts in every one of these seats. That should be your prayer. When you come in, you're not thinking about where you're sitting and how the light's too bright or the air's too Uh, much or whatever you're thinking about praying for the person in front of you behind you next to you pray through the preaching number three witnessing to unbelievers Paul says use your words to pray use your words to proclaim the word and use your words to witness to unbelievers look at verse five and he mentions more than speech but he does mention speech he says, act wisely, we'll come back to that, toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be with, grace, with gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. Outsiders, he mentions uh, speaking toward outside, outsiders, acting wisely toward outsiders. That's just anybody who's outside the faith. That's not like we're blessed and they're not. But that's those who haven't come to know Christ as Savior, those who are not followers of Christ yet, Yet, and we pray about an opportunity to share Christ with them. Acting wisely, I just want to highlight a, a little bit about that, how important it is that your walk match your talk. That your walk match your talk. That, that when you share the gospel, you have a life that backs that up. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Kevin's paraphrase of that is, you live your life in such a way that unbelievers will see your life and they will want what you have. And they'll want to trust God just like you have. Dr. W.H. Houghton was president of Moody Bible Institute for a while. In the 1940s, he pastored a, a church in Atlanta. And when he went to pastor that church in Atlanta, a man in the community, hired a private detective to follow him, to follow the new pastor. And after a few weeks of following the new pastor, that private detective came back to report to the man who hired him, said, I couldn't find anything on this guy. He's the real deal. That man who hired the private detective came to know Christ through that. Would, would we pass that one? If somebody hired a private detective to watch our life, And based on the report they got, are they going to place their faith in Christ? That's pretty strong, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. Let them see your life, not just what you say, but how you live. And by the way, we are not perfect. We all know that, right? We are not perfect. I'm sure they'd find something on all of us if they dug far enough. But we're forgiven. And my life should be, as a follower of Christ, more consistently marked by obedience than it is by disobedience. That's what we're talking about. Acting wisely. But then he mentioned speech, so we need to get with that. Let your speech be gracious. Seasoned. Some translations say seasoned as it were with salt. Salt was used for a couple of things in Paul's day. I believe it was used like it is used today to to flavor food. But even more than that, it was used to preserve food without refrigeration. So if my speech is to be seasoned with salt, not only is my speech to be winsome and attractive, and you know what I mean by that, so that somebody's going to want to interact with me to understand what I'm saying about the gospel, it should be that way. But it should also be preserving. It should also be pure. It should also be wholesome. Let your speech be this way. Then he mentions so that you can answer, that you can give a defense of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it would give grace to those who hear. Follower of Christ, your speech, as you think about sharing the gospel with others, should be gracious, and it should give grace to those who hear. They should sense that. I heard about a pastor one time and he preached on hell. And afterwards they were talking and some were talking about the sermon like we all do, right? And somebody said, you know, it sounded like he was looking forward to sending some people there. (laughs) And then someone else can come in and preach on the same topic with a broken heart. That that's the destiny of anyone who doesn't trust Christ because it breaks your heart. That's with grace. Be careful as you witness to others that you don't tell them they need something you've got because you're special. Let them know you're just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. It's that simple. Let your speech be gracious. Warren Wiersbe tells a story about a friend who went to share the gospel with a storekeeper and the salesman in the store met him and said oh yeah and they're starting to talk about the gospel he said do you go to such and such church and the man said yes I do he said does so-and-so go to that church he said yes he does he said man let me tell you that guy doesn't pay his bills he won't return our phone calls he's one of our worst customers if he goes to that church I don't want anything to do with that well obviously the witnessing opportunity door was closed right don't let that be said of us does so-and-so go to your church Let it be a life that is a life of integrity. And have words that back that up. It's implied here that we use words to share the gospel, right? Well, I'm just going to live a good life and they'll know. Well, that will be a big part of it. But you still need to let them know why. Let them know why. Let them know why your life is different. Oh, because I go to Coastal Oaks Church. What about Jesus? Because I know Jesus. And by the way, I live with a bunch of other people who know Jesus and we go to Coastal Oaks Church. Not, my life is different because of this church. Now I thank God that this church has impacted people. It's only because of the gospel. Witnessing to others outside the faith. And then lastly, we use our words to encourage. So encouraging others. Encouraging others. I'm going to go back and read verse 7 through 9 again because it's been a little while. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful servant and fellow slave in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. So Paul has sent this person, this brother, Tychicus, with this news, this letter, to the church at Colossae. And, And he says he's going to bring you news about my imprisonment. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are, And so that he may encourage your hearts. And then he goes on to mention Onesimus, a faithful, dearly loved brother again, who is one of you. By the way, a runaway slave. Look at the book of Philemon. Onesimus was a runaway slave who Paul led to Christ, and he sent him back to Philemon and asked him to ask for forgiveness. He calls him a faithful brother. I love that. They will tell you everything about everything here. Paul says, I've got these two men, and they're going to give you encouragement because they've been with me. Their words, not just what they deliver in the letter of Colossae, the Colossians, but their words are going to encourage and affirm and build you up. Paul doesn't give much detail in this letter about how his Roman imprisonment is, his situation, but he says they're going to fill you in, and their filling you in is going to be encouraging to you. They're even going to share burdens. And you're going to encourage in those burdens. That's what we do here. Use our words to encourage one another. Let me go back to that Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building others up or building someone up in need. My speech should be encouraging. We've all heard my story. I am an Eeyore. That's my temperament, my makeup. The glass is always half empty. God works on me every day about that. I need to be careful about that. I need to look at what God's doing in the rest of that. I need to see that my words are encouraging, building others up. Are your words encouraging? Let me go back to England, ride my bicycle in the hills. Later on that week, we were climbing another hill. That's all we did. <laughs> and the guys were all faster than me, and they'd get to the top, and they'd wait for me, and I was the anchor coming up the hill. And I was coming up one hill. It was very narrow. It was shorter, so it was only maybe, maybe half a mile. It wasn't two or three miles like some others. And so I could see the top of the hill, and I was ready to give up that day for sure. Sure. Another one, I'm just going to unclip, and I'm going to walk the, the last 50 feet of this. And as I got about 50 feet from the top, I look, and there's a Land Rover sitting at the top. They could not come down the hill because it was such a narrow road. It's in the countryside in England. So these people are in this Land Rover waiting for me to get to the top of the hill. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to unclip and step out of the way and let them come down there. But I looked, and they're going. Ha, <laughs> So the closer I get, they're hollering at me in their British accent. Good on you. They're telling me everything. You can do this, and they're doing that. I tell you what, I wanted to unclip and walk in a bad way. But their encouragement and encouraging words got me to the top of the hill, and they cheered, and they did that high-five, and they drove down the hill. Folks, which one are we going to be? We got a world out there who needs encouragement. We have brothers and sisters in Christ in this church who need encouragement. Let's use our words wisely. Pray with me.